Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Masters of Photography, online masterclasses with the greatest photographers in the world. We'll have a special offer for you on Masters of Photography courses later in the show. Welcome and thanks for joining us again. This is episode number 31. This is going to be published in between Christmas and the New Year's, so some of you might be on vacation or holidays, they say, in the country where I live. Jeff, I know you just got back from a big vacation, and I have a feeling you took a lot of pictures there. Strangely enough, I did. I went to Kauai in Hawaii for my anniversary. It was not a photo vacation. I did not go there to shoot a lot of photos, but because I am who I am, I ended up shooting a lot of photos. Okay, we're recording this on Wednesday and releasing on Friday, so that means by tomorrow you need to pick a half a dozen photos that you can throw in the show notes to show everyone what you saw. Okay, yeah. I can do that because I've been I've been sorting through them and rating them and and you know collecting them in my library. Exactly. And that brings us to today's topic. We wanted to talk about digital asset management apps. A digital asset management app is an app that catalogs your photos that organizes them. In some cases, this app may be a part of your photo editing app, which is the case with Lightroom. It's the case with Apple Photos. In other cases, it's not. Uh, There are many editing apps that don't have a digital asset management library. And I wish we had an easier way to say those four words because we're going to be saying them a number of times throughout the show. If you look at Affinity Photo, for example, a popular app on Mac and on iOS, it doesn't offer any options to manage your library. So you have to take your files in some sort of folder structure or use them from Apple Photos or something else. One other photo editing app, Luminar, has just released an update with a digital asset management tool, and we'll talk about that later. So let's start out by defining, and I just gave a, a capsule definition of a, a DAM tool. Can we say a DAM tool? Because that's the abbreviation that's used, D-A-M. That's what people say, yeah. It's a DAM. So how do you how do you define a DAM? Well, it's interesting because a DAM can represent a big spectrum of activities that you do with a library. At It's very basic it is software that is going to collect everything together. We talked about this a little bit in episode three, I believe, when we were specifically talking about what to do with your files in, uh, specifically, we were talking about, about Lightroom and Photos. For one point is that, that you have your library there, and we'll get back to that when we talk about Luminar. Then it lets you do stuff with the files. So for example, you can uh, give star ratings. You can pick out what's good and what's bad. Uh, You can do color labels. You can flag things. Uh, Also sort of the same tasks in different ways. You can add keywords. You can add GPS coordinates. Mm -hmm. Uh, Set up albums and sometimes smart albums. You can refine what you're looking at, view things by date, Basically, like like all the different ways that you want to take your big digital shoebox and sort through it without just having to do what most of us do most of the time, which is scroll, 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 scroll through the history. Okay, but apps do this in different ways. Apple Photos takes your files and puts them in a library file, which isn't really a file. It's nested folders, but it looks like a file on the Mac. Whereas Lightroom, you just pointed to a folder structure. Am I correct? Sort of, yes. Yes. And, and that's an excellent point to bring up. So so what we were talking about just a second ago was sort of the, the user facing how how do you interact with your photos. But there's that whole other level of, of how the, the software deals with all the files. Because as we know, shooting photos, you end up with a lot of files, whether that's just raw files, JPEG files, sidecar files, like all sorts of things. And ideally, you don't want to have to deal with all that. Some 
software will handle all that for you. So Photos just says, look, look, I've got this. Don't you worry anything about what happens on disk. I'm just going to show you the photos. And that's good because what Photos does is inside that package file, there are like nested folders of thumbnails and like, like, like it's, it's not even human readable unless you really know what you're looking for. And it also stores specific files that record the edits you've made. So you can see an edited file, but you can also recover the original file if you need to. Right, right. But but that also makes it difficult. Like you can't just go in and grab the file and expect to keep your edits if you move that to a different different software. So that's that's like that sort of like file management level. Lightroom, on the other hand, uh, so Lightroom CC, the the newer cloud focused one, it wants to do that by default. It has its own nested structure, but it's not as complicated. But you don't have to stick with that. You can say, I want all of my originals stored on, say, an external drive, and then it just keeps track of, of, of what's changed, which is kind of a nice, a nice intermediary. Well, you can do that with photos too, can't you? You can add photos and leave them in their original location. You can. However, if they're not in the main library location on your hard disk, they don't get synced to iCloud photos. Right. Which is one of the main reasons to use Apple's Photos environment. Exactly, exactly. Lightroom Classic, on the other hand, has a lot more flexibility of, of where things are stored. You can just say, I want all my photos stored here. Also, as you import photos, all the, all these different programs do uh, different things with your files. Some will set up a structure by date, or you can, in the case of long dead aperture, you could just sort of put them in whatever folder you want. You could like do it by project. So there are a lot of different ways to go about this, which is part of the reason why we get sort of locked up when we're like, which one should I use? Because there are a bunch of different options that you kind of have to consider. Yeah. And, and it's a good point that what, what you've said is that you, you get locked into an ecosystem in, in the case of Apple's photos and iCloud photo library, but you do get the advantage of having the cloud syncing. So it's a trade-off in many ways. Th this whole Lightroom classic Lightroom CC thing are they going to continue down these two paths or are they going to eventually get rid of Lightroom Classic and just move to the cloud version? Kind of like Apple had photos, iPhotos and Aperture and then got rid of Aperture and moved to Photos. Is it going to be like that? My guess is it, it is. Right now, Adobe's stance is no, 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 no. We're, these are two separate things. We've got developers on both of them. And, you know, and yes, the, they are actively developing both because Lightroom CC just doesn't have all the features that Lightroom Classic does. But a lot of those features they've said are coming to Lightroom CC, like, for example, being able to, to process HDR photos or panoramas. Like, you can't do that in CC now. Um, you can in Classic. So, yes, officially right now, they're both charging ahead, two different things. My suspicion is that at some point, Lightroom CC is going to be feature have feature parity with Classic. And because it's a new code base, because they're not sort of fighting uh, legacy code that's been slowing down classic, then they'll say, hey, now we're going to reunify and Lightroom just becomes Lightroom. And here it is. What that looks like, whether it has everything from classic, we're not really sure. But my suspicion is that's the end point. But that, that could be years down the line. Okay, so we're looking at platform lock-in. 
Is it safe to assume that if you are using Lightroom Classic, you can easily move your library to Lightroom CC and not lose anything? And I'm thinking losing not just the photos, but your edit history. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they um, have a migration tool that will go from Classic to CC. And because it's all Adobe, like it keeps track of everything. So that's that's really good. But it won't go in the other direction. It won't go in the other direction. You would have to export things. But let me... Step back. Yes, it can go in the other direction. It's a lot more work. With with Lightroom CC, the big consideration is like by default, it wants to upload everything to Creative Cloud. So if you're bringing your entire classic library in, you have to pay for more storage on the cloud or do some wiggling so that you aren't using the cloud. It's possible. But the whole point of Lightroom CC is everything goes to the cloud. Your entire library is available on any machine, any handheld device, any, uh, you know, iPad, whatever. Like Apple's iCloud photos. Exactly. But that, as you say, leads into that self-sustaining, well, I would like to jump to another program or try it out, but I lose my sync capability or I lose my edits or, you know, that that sort of inflexibility. Like from a business standpoint, I, I guess it makes sense, but I know it drives photographers crazy, especially if they are, you know, Maybe they're they're tired of paying for a, a, an Adobe Creative Cloud subscription, or maybe they have more that they want to do than what Photos offers. And that's a good point because this is a subscription-based tool, whereas most of these other apps are a single purchase price. Maybe they're updated every year or every two years. A lot of people are resentful at Adobe for this subscription. On the other hand, if you consider how much the storage costs, you're not paying more than you would from, say, Dropbox or Google to have the cloud storage, and you're getting the apps. So, Because I think you can get the photographer package for $10 a month, right? It's not expensive. Right, right. It, it's like $10 a month for a small amount of storage, and I think $20 a month for, for a terabyte. Yeah, and, and the small amount is really small, but then the terabyte is competitive with other services considering that you're getting the apps, you get all the updates to the apps, et cetera. Right, right. Although I, I think part of the, the calculation is it's not necessarily that you are going to drop Dropbox and use uh, Creative Cloud because a lot of people already have Dropbox. So then this becomes an additional, additional thing. Right. I think one of the key pain points here is the, the pain for extra storage because I think people... They don't mind paying a subscription for software, but then it's like, okay, well, my software is designed to use all this storage, and now you want to jack up the price and make me pay $100 a month so I have like two terabytes. That's what people are objecting to, I think. So they're worried about Adobe being a monopoly, which it sort of is, and taking advantage of that monopoly at any time to increase the price beyond what one would consider to be a normal price increase. Yeah, yeah, partially, and just the lock-in. but. As you mentioned, Adobe's structured their plan in such a way that it does make sense if you need a lot of the other f applications. The syncing to devices is actually a huge deal. Just not everybody uses it. But if you do use it, the, the friction is, is, is almost gone. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to look more specifically at Luminar with Libraries, which was recently released and which may be a good solution for people who don't want to pay a subscription. Masters of Photography is a unique online learning platform that brings together some of the world's most acclaimed photographers, the Masters. You can enjoy an unprecedented insight into the way these photographers work during intimate lessons that capture their knowledge, ethos, and philosophy. 
I've taken the Masters of Photography course with Joel Myrowitz, one of my favorite photographers, and I was impressed by his passion for photography and his desire to transmit his knowledge to others. With more than five hours of video and 34 lessons, Joel Myrowitz discusses technique, inspiration, and his career, and gives some practical tips about shooting in the street, taking portraits, and even still life photography. I strongly recommend this course with Joel Myrowitz, and Masters of Photography has a special offer for photoactive listeners. Get 5% off any course with the code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to mastersof.photography and enter the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE or use the link in our show notes. That's mastersof.photography. I really enjoyed this course, and I think you will too. So if someone does want to switch from one of these tools to another and migration is not possible, the, the only solution that I can think of is do it like on the 1st of January. Keep the old one for everything you've shot before it and then start with the new one from the 1st of January and just accept the fact that you're going to be working with two tools for a very long time. Eventually, you'll have more and more photos in the new one and you won't go back to the old one that much. And and it's kind of good to do it on a, a set date like that. Of course, you could choose the 1st of March or whatever. But since we're coming up to the 1st of January, you might want to consider doing that now. Also, if you're on vacation right around the 1st of January or right now, you have a little bit of extra time to think this through rather than get into the, the new year and then get busy and all of all of that. So Okay, so we wanted to talk about Luminar. Luminar is a very interesting app. It combines some powerful editing tools with some really simplified interfaces. And, and they've got these sort of filters that you can use that are quite good and they have these AI filters and it's all kind of it's all kind of modern and you can make some really ugly HDR photos using <laughs> apps like this and you can use some really ugly presets, but it's a kind of tool that's accessible to a lot of people. So they just came out with a version, I believe they just call it Luminar 3, although they've been referring to it as Luminar with libraries over time. And essentially it's the same Luminar that was out in 2018 but with this library feature, when you launch it, you point it to the location where your files are stored. It's a free upgrade, which I think is a good thing. Can you tell us about it? I think you've spent a fair amount of time with Luminar 3. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm I'm currently working on a book for Rocky Nook on, on Luminar. And so it's it's been interesting watching this progress. By way of history, I'm I'm gonna point out that Skylum, the company that that makes it, they've been talking about adding a dam to Luminar for a long time. And the, the simple reason is Lightroom is the, the king of the market and Lightroom offers a, a dam. And so other companies, uh, I know the folks over at Affinity Photo, they've been talking about a dam for like literally years and have not shown anything. And so, you know, the, the, the benefits of having your library with your editing environment, I think are are huge and and really points to why Luminar has done this. It's just so much easier to be able to go through all your photos and 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 rate them, or even if you don't even do any rating or anything like that, just having them there to browse them visually rather than having to find the file that you want to edit, open it in your your editing program, do your edits, save it. Like this was the 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 Photoshop model forever, um, and and before this the Luminar model forever. It's not a terrible thing. People have been doing it for a long time, but you have to sort of dedicate a little bit of extra brain space as to okay, where am I going to store these files? 
are the edited versions, because you would have the .lmnr, which is the edited version of your Luminar photo in, in Luminar's own editing format, like does that just get stored with the original that you shot or do you have a folder where you just have your edits and, you know, like just complication upon complication. So being able to just open your, your software, like Luminar, Photos, Lightroom, and be able to look at your catalog and say, okay, these are all the shots that I made on this day in Seattle. Then I can look through, scan through, see which ones I want, and then just open it right there into the editing module and do my edits. And when I'm done editing, I don't have to save it. I don't have to do anything with it. I just move on to the next thing. You don't have to export it at all. It's just, and you can stop editing at any time without worrying about coming back to something that's incomplete and forgetting what you've done. Right, right, right. I can stop editing any time. That's, that's what we all say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and also what's, what's great about that is you can partially edit something or you come back to it and you say, wow, I forgot that my uh, night shift was on on my computer that night and I was editing late. Now everything is, is really, really too warm or, or too cool and I need to adjust that. And you can do that without having to, you know, start from scratch or, you know, sort of uh, uh, do archaeology on, all right, what did I edit? Which layers did I affect? Here, you know, you can just say, oh, okay, my white balance is, is, is too high. I can just move that down. So there's definitely a benefit there. I have a question about how much space these files takes up. I've played around with Luminar. I've played around with Affinity Photos, and I've got a folder with the photos that I've saved from each of these apps. So the .lmnr or the .afphoto files. The Luminar photos are quite small. I see one is 50 megabytes, and that's the size of the raw files that my camera makes. One is 11, so that might have started with a JPEG, but some are just a few hundred K. In Affinity Photo, they're all 50 or 100 or 200 megabytes. Why is there such a difference? Is Affinity Photo keeping an actual photo at each step of your edit, as opposed to keeping the editing information, allowing it to recreate that? That's a great question. I'm not sure, but I, I think oftentimes, yes, it's it, it's keeping various bitmaps representing each level, I think. Jump in on our Facebook group if I'm completely wrong about this, but some applications will also store your edit history in the file. So in that file, you've got uh, most likely your raw file. Sometimes it will make an editable TIFF because you don't want to mess with the raw file. Then it'll have, you know, thumbnails for what you've done and then a history of all the edits that you've made. And depending on how they store that, and, I'll, you know, again, I'm not a programmer, so I'm not sure how all of this works on disk, but things can really can really balloon up. So that that's another consideration. Whereas when you have something like Luminar or Lightroom or Photos, your edits are being not necessarily stored in that file. They're being stored somewhere else. Let me explain how, how Luminar does it, which actually goes back to a point that we made earlier. In terms of files on disk, you can point Luminar to any folder that you want that contains photos and just say, use this as a source folder, which is great because... If you had previously been organizing things on disk and you know not through, say, Lightroom or Photos, you don't have to change anything. You just point to it and say, okay, this is where all my photos live. And by default, that starts at the, the, the pictures folder, but th that can be anything. It could be a folder inside the pictures folder. Maybe you want 
to have a, a photos library on its own, and maybe you want to have other photos that you keep separately. Exactly, exactly. Or maybe you have a lot of originals on another drive or on a NAS on your network or something where you would normally have to like go and find those and work with them. And now Luminar will just look and find those there. There are other applications that act in that way. Alien Skin Exposure, for one. I think Capture One also does that. Uh, Adobe Bridge, I know. But the point is, you can just sort of say, here's where my photos are and use that as a source. Now, what's important about that part is you can also point that at a cloud service folder. So, for example, let's say you already pay for Dropbox or you have a Google Drive. That's cloud storage that you're already paying for. So rather than having to pay for, say, you know, Adobe's cloud storage, you can just say, I'm going to put all my photos in my one terabyte of space in Dropbox and let Dropbox, which I'm already paying for it, let, let them deal with all the storage. And then Luminar, I'm just going to say, hey, here's where all my, all my photos are. And so you're basically getting that, that, that cloud, um, cloud storage and cloud backup, backup in, in quotation marks, you're, you're getting that advantage. In terms of, of edits and such, Luminar stores everything in a central catalog that's separate from all those photos. So it's just keeping track of everything that you've done. None of the, the edits actually exist with the photos. It's all in the Luminar library. And that's good because then you're not having to like read a whole bunch of little little sidecar files to see what the changes are. And everything is just sort of centrally located so that when you then do your edits, it applies those edits. And then when you want to export things, then it like burns it to a new file with all the edits intact. Can you explain what a sidecar file is? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So a sidecar file is basically a little text file that contains metadata about what has happened to that photo. So you'll see this especially with with raw files because raw files themselves don't get touched because they're they're raw that's the whole point. But let's say you have a raw file and you you know you change the exposure, you change the contrast and you change the saturation. So that information will be stored in that sidecar file that just says, you know, exposure is now plus 2 and saturation is 43. And those get stored with the with the raw file so that let's say you want to open it up in Photoshop, you want to open it up in in exposure uh, uh, alien skin exposure will open your raw file, look for a sidecar and say, "Ah, okay, here's a sidecar. It says uh, exposure is now up to 2." And so I'll set that to 2. But do they always agree is plus 2 in alien skin the same as plus 2 in Lightroom? I'm assuming it's not. So in theory, in theory, it should be. I think the the sidecar formats like .xmp. I think Adobe created it, and people are pretty good about treating it as something that's going to work cross platform, cross application. So I think for the most part, it is. But no, that wasn't my question. My question is more raising exposure by a level of something in Lightroom is at the same level as you would get in Alien Skin. I think it is, but I, I think what what you run into is features that Alien Skin might have that Lightroom does not, like different types of adjustments or layers and, and things like that. All that information is just not going to be stored in the same way. In fact, Alien Skin, they do a different thing. They, they just create a folder within your 
photo hierarchy that just says alien skin and store all their edits there. And I assume the edit is matches the file name of the photo with a different extension so it can be easily found. Yeah, right. yeah. So let's let's get back to Luminar. We've only got a few minutes, but what are the pros and cons of Luminar 3 with libraries? It's got a digital asset management module now, so that's one of the pros. Sort of. Oh, okay, okay. So the thing is, Skylum has been promoting a dam with Luminar, and what shipped on December 18th isn't quite a dam. What it will do, it will do ratings of the various types. You can create albums, you can point to, you know, whatever source folder you want. You can, you know, like sort by capture time, things like that. So there are a few things that it does not do that are sort of key to have a full dam. So for example, there's very little uh, information other than that EXIF information. So for example, you can't access uh, file names, titles, comments, descriptions. None of the IPTC metadata gets gets uh, exposed there. There's no keywording. And because there's no keywording, there's no way to like search for keywords. There's no search feature other than to be able to say, like, just, you know, uh, display things that are three stars and above. There's no geotagging. Basically, what it is, is this is the start of a dam. And I think it, it's very clear that this was, you know, hey, uh, writing a dam seems to be a lot of hard work, so um, there's no way we're going to ship this, but we promise to ship it by the end of 2018. So this is what we're starting with. Skylum has published a roadmap that has a whole bunch of other things that they're going to add during the year. We don't know when that's going to happen, but that's going to be you know, uh, better handling of RAW plus JPEG photos, keywords, IPTC editing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but basically, it's it's very much a work in progress. So this doesn't sound very convincing here. And I think one of the problems is, you see, you've got on the one hand, the Adobe Industrial Complex. On the other hand, you've got Apple, and then you've got everything else. And everyone is comparing themselves to these different apps. And, and consumers are looking at these apps and saying, I want the features that this one does without paying a subscription. And then they discover that it's not that easy and people get disappointed and they get frustrated. And uh, again, we talked about switching from one dam to another. This isn't something you do lightly. If something isn't well done, people are not going to take the leap if they're missing certain features. Well, one thing I noticed on the Luminar website, and I, I'm not criticizing Skylum here, formerly MacFun. They say these great photographers use Luminar. And so there's three names of photographers with little photos and they have some testimonials and then there's arrows to click to see the other. And it's just the same three that cycle through and through. And I've never heard of any of them. Now, they may be great photographers, but I think the point is that this is not easy. But even more so, I would say to anyone looking to make this kind of a change from one dam to another, Think very, very carefully about the change you're making because it may not be easy to take a step back and return to where you were before. Definitely. And also, I'm going to defend Skylum a little bit because it's definitely a start. And and the, the appeal, I think, it, to a lot of people is Luminar is like, it's like $69. And that's it. It's not a subscription. Like you pay $69. There's a lot of people, they want to pay less than $100 and get all these features. So, you know, like, like, like that definitely has it going for it, but they are going to add features. I don't want to sound like I'm, I, I'm shilling for Skylum, but 
I am definitely rooting for them because this is a space that people want. People want to be able to organize their photos. They want to be able to do this and and not have to be locked in. The key, I think, is when you're hitting any of these programs, your first step is not, I'm going to throw my entire photo library at it. It is either do, as Kirk suggested, start you know on a date and say, all right, all my photos from now on are going to be here. Or you know, just take a subset of your, your library, you know, a, a few gigabytes or maybe like a month's worth. Put it in there, make a copy, work on the copy, give it a test run, see how it goes. So it's time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? So I'm going to do an app this week, largely inspired by my, my recent vacation. If you do any landscape photography, you want to be there at the sunrise and at the sunset. And so the app that I'm choosing is called Lumi, L-U-M-Y. And it's a very simple app that just gives you the sunrise time, the sunset time, but it also tells you when the golden hour, the blue hour, the time before and after sunrise, when you can expect that to be good. And that's it. It's 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 really, really simple. But what's nice is it, it does have that extra bit of information. I also quite often used just the, the sunrise sunset complication on my Apple Watch just so that I would know when it was coming up and then I would check Lumi to see, you know, when the, the good time would be. Kirk, what about you this week? I got a very interesting new book. It's called American Winter. It's by a Swedish photographer called Jerry Johansson. Unlike most photo books, this is about the size of a novel, like a hardcover novel. It's a few hundred pages. You either have double page spreads with a photo on each page or spreads with only a photo on the right-hand page. The photos are relatively small. They're just a few inches square. They're all black and white. This photographer has an interesting approach. He goes to a location. He's done books like this about Germany and other places. He takes a lot of photos. He picks them. He puts them in a book in alphabetical order named after the location where he took the photos. So there's no narrative in it. The only narrative is that which is more of a chance narrative of the alphabetical order. If one photo is related to a previous one, it's not because of the way the photo looks. It might be because it's a town that had something similar. This book is quite striking. It's all black and white. It's all square. It's all, it's not very high contrast. I'm assuming it's shot on film. And there's not a single person in any of the photos. Now, we've talked about William Eggleston in the past, and, and, and the kind of photos he takes are not necessarily the composition that you and I would think of, but when you learn his visual language, you start understanding what he's doing. And this is very similar here. The composition is often not quite as skewed as Eggleston, but they are not photos of interesting things. But taken all together, they become interesting. There's no people in any of the photos. And it reminds me of the very first episode of The Twilight Zone called Where Is Everybody? Where this guy all of a sudden comes in this town. There's no people around. He's walking around and everything is desolate. And there is a certain desolation here, but it's not like death desolation. It's like he's showing landscapes and towns and buildings and things in black and white. It's almost as if they're in a resting state. This is a book just came out. He's got a few others, and they generally go out of print pretty quickly. So I'll link to this in the show notes. I'm really impressed by this because I really like people who do black and white landscape photos. And I consider these landscapes, even though it's mostly buildings and places and things. And again, the format is interesting. It's like a novel. It's a few hundred pages. You can look at 20 photos, put a bookmark in, put it down, you know, leave it on your bedside table, pick it up again, 
And it, it just has an interesting narrative that just comes from this chance operation of putting photos in alphabetical order. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Until next week, thanks again for listening.